since my singing in the rain illustration landed so well last week, <laughs> shall we begin with another musical reference? We shall. In the 1962 movie musical, The Music Man, salesman Harold Hill, he travels to a small Midwestern town called, actually, interestingly enough, River City. And can you guess what he is trying to sell? Musical instruments and uniforms for bands. However, the residents of River City have no interest in buying what Harold is selling. I mean, why would the parents of River City buy instruments and uniforms for their sons to play in a marching band after school? So you know what Hill does? He convinces them that they have a problem. Hill notices that after school, all the young boys, they gather around a new building in the town square. And you know what's inside that new building in the town square? A billiard parlor. In there, men are playing pool. Well, after noticing this, Hill quickly gathers all the residents there in the town square. And do you remember what he says? With a captive audience, he declares, you got a problem. Right here in River City, with the capital T, and that rhymes with P, and that stands for? <laughs> Only three people, right, again? And I know my delivery wasn't the best on that. Yes, you got trouble right here in River City with a capital T, and that rhymes with P, and that stands for pool. And he'll actually, he'll goes on in the musical. He says, you got trouble right here in River City. And he says, got to figure out a way to keep the young ones moral after school. And you know what? His plan works. The residents of River City do believe they have trouble. So they keep their sons, so to keep their sons away from the billiard parlor, they buy all the instruments and the uniforms for the marching band. Pretty clever plan, wouldn't you say? Even despite my poor delivery of <laughs> that line. He convinced a whole town that they had trouble. Well, let me see. What comes to your mind when you hear the word trouble? I guess it is probably not a pool table, right? But what comes to mind when you hear the word trouble? Whatever it might be, my guess is no one has to convince you that you have trouble in your life right now, right? I mean, trouble can come to us in a variety of ways, can it not? I mean, think about this with me for a moment. Well, think of some ways that trouble can come into your life. How about, how about physical pain? Can, tr can trouble come through physical pain? Sure. Or what about delayed plans or disruptive events? How about financial struggles? Or how about people? 
Isn't that true that trouble can most often come in the form of people? Right? People who are not respectful of you or but who are instead demeaning. People who are prideful and think they always know best. People who, who impute motives upon you and are suspicious of you. Right? Live any length of time and you will experience trouble. So here's the question I want us to consider this morning, and that is, what should you and I do in our day of trouble? When the trouble of physical pain or a difficult person comes upon you, here's the question I want us to consider, and that is, what should you be giving your attention to? Because I don't know about you, but most often, when I experience trouble, I'm most focused on getting relief from that trouble. Right? Amen? Somebody? Now, to be sure, there's nothing wrong about seeking relief from trouble. But friend, please hear me. The Bible repeatedly teaches that relief ought not be our greatest concern in our day of trouble. And you know why? Because as the Bible teaches, there is something far more terrible than our actual trouble that can ruin us if we're not careful. And what is that? Well, turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Hebrews 3. This morning we're going to be studying Hebrews chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. And in the previous chapter, the author taught us some glorious truths, did he not? Truths that really can sustain us and fortify our faith. By way of review, consider what we learned back in Hebrews chapter 4, or Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. In that passage, the author taught us, and we learned, that Jesus died to deliver you from the fear of death. Remember this? The eternal divine Son of God took on human flesh to die on the cross to save all who would trust in Him. And in so doing, free us from self-preserving fear. Then in the next several verses, chapter 2, verses 17 through 18, we learned that as our merciful high priest, Jesus can help the tempted. Oh, what good news that is. Amen? Jesus can help the tempted. And Jesus can help us in temptation because he shares our human nature. He satisfied God's wrath, just wrath upon the cross. And he himself suffered when tempted. That is, when tempted, Jesus had all the pressures you and I experience and more, yet he did not fall. He did not fail. Therefore, he can best show us how to succeed in our moments of temptation. Indeed, in light of this great truth, what does the author invite us to do in chapter 3, verse 1? Remember, he invites us to consider why Jesus is worthy of more glory. More glory than anything this world has to offer, especially the person in the mirror. Jesus is, more, is worthy of more glory. Why? Because he's God's revealer reconciler. He's the reliable builder. 
And he's God's resolute son. So I say all this because after considering why Jesus is worthy to live for more than anything else on the planet, including ourselves, Jesus alone is worthy to live for, the author of Hebrews now directs us as to what we ought to give attention to, particular attention to, in our day of trouble. When trouble comes to us in the form of a car breakdown, or a physical illness, or bad news from a doctor, or a difficult person, or difficult persons, whatever it might be, when the day of trouble comes upon you, what do you need to be aware of? What do you need to tend to? That's exactly what the author of Hebrews is going to share right now. So if you haven't already, let's look at Hebrews chapter 3. That's page 1002 in that paperback Bible. And follow along as I read 7, chapter, verse 7, down to verse 19. He says this, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. And I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now, does this sound strangely familiar this morning? I hope so, because we just read this passage at the beginning of our service. The author of Hebrews here is quoting Psalm 95, the very psalm we started our worship service with by reciting. So he cites Psalm 95, and then he says this, verse 12, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear His voice, do not Harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Amen and amen. This is God's good, important, important word. Uh, yesterday at the gym, a, a sweet, very sweet, kind old man, he, he walked into the gym, he looked around, he saw me, and then he waved at me to come over to him. 
So I obeyed. I, I stopped what I was doing, and I went over to him. And when I over, went over to him, and he was just an acquaintance at best, he told me, he said, hey, I'm in the process of buying a condo. He says, but I, had a, I have a very urgent problem. And he then explained to me that he needed to send his realtor a document verifying his identity and that he also had enough funds to go through with this deal. And then to my surprise, he, he pulls up his bank statement on his phone, on the app of his phone. He hands me his phone, and he then asks me to take a picture of the bank statement on his phone with my phone so that I could then text it back to him so he could email it onto his realtor. Okay. <laughs> what would you do in this situation, right? So I, I thought about it for a moment. And he, I mean, he's, he's imagine someone just, here's all my financial information. Would you take a picture of it? <laughs> so, so, so I said, hey, I, I tell you what, happy to help. But I, I told the, the sweet guy, I said, hey, I, for your protection, and for mine as well, instead of me taking a picture of all your financial information, why don't you just take a screenshot on your phone? I said, it's really simple. But guess what kind of phone he had? An Android. Boo! Okay. And after spending several minutes messing around with it, we, we couldn't take a screenshot. Not only that, so I started walking around. Literally everyone else in the gym had an iPhone. And in that moment, it, it, true story, in that moment, and he's not here, you know what I thought to myself? I'm like, of all the times, where is Grant and his dumb Android phone <laughs> when I need it? Yeah. Yet to the praise of God's grace, we were able to figure it out. That man was able to verify that his offer was indeed coming from him. Notice what the author of Hebrews says there in verse 7. Don't miss this. He prefaces a quotation from Psalm 95 with the words, Therefore, as the what? Holy Spirit says. And you know what the author is doing? He's affirming the divine inspiration of Scripture. Friend, God is the author of Scripture, not just men and their random thoughts. No, as Peter makes very clear in 1 Peter 1, verse 21, or 2 Peter 1, 21, no prophecy of Scripture was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. When Scripture speaks, God speaks. Amen? And this is precisely the point the author of Hebrews wants us to know. For with that little phrase beginning in verse 7, you know what the author of Hebrews is doing? He's saying this. He's like, listen, he is verifying that the counsel he is about to give comes from none other than God himself. And what counsel does God have for those who are experiencing trouble, 
His word of counsel to us is this. Do not harden your heart in the day of trouble. This, I want to suggest, is the main point of chapter 3, verses 7 all the way through 19. He keeps coming back to this theme. He ple- After we've considered why Jesus is worthy to live for more than anything else, consider why Jesus is worthy of more glory. Then he says, and when you experience trouble, do not harden your heart. You could say it this way, faith, when suffering afflicts you, when hardship beats against you, when difficult people fill your day, more than finding relief from your trouble, hear me, Christian, the Bible teaches you must tend to your heart. That is, you are to take responsibility for your heart. As many of you know, in the Bible, the heart is not just the seat of the emotions. No, in Scripture, the heart, it's, it's a collective term that refers to the mind, will, and emotions. Right? It's your directional system. It's your steering wheel. It's, uh, to, <laughs> except for Androids, it's the operating system that runs the app on your life. Right? Okay? <laughs> and when trouble comes upon you, and we all have trouble... Christian, you have the responsibility to make sure that your heart is not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin so that you will not fall away from God. So so how can you obey this command? How can you and I keep our hearts from being hardened in the midst of a trial in the midst of trouble, in the midst of affliction, in the midst of disappointment, when the day of trouble comes upon us, how can we make sure that our hearts are not hardened and then we fall away from our God? Well, I want to suggest that the author of Hebrews directs us to five actions we must take to keep our hearts soft and receptive to God, but have no fear we're only going to look at the first two, okay? <laughs> and the first is this. As we look carefully at this text, and if we really want the truth of this text to have its full effect, if we are going to make sure our hearts are not hard in the day of trouble, the first thing we must do is this, and that is expect wilderness testing. Expect. Expect wilderness testing. Look again at verses 7 through 9. He says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Years. I must be on a um, movie kick because in the movie The Wizard of Oz, (laughs) tell me, what does Dorothy say to her dog Toto the moment she steps outside of her home and enters into Munchkin? Remember, this this is the scene also when the movie goes from black and white to color. She steps outside, and you remember what she says to her dog? What does she say? Dog. 
Isn't it? Yes, absolutely. She says, Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. And in that moment, you know what Dorothy understood? In that moment, Dorothy understood the ground she was walking upon was not her home. Christian, do you know where you are? Do you know where you are? It's not Kansas. No, according to Scripture, please hear me, you are in the wilderness. Notice what the author of Hebrews does in this passage. He brilliantly takes an experience from Israel's past and applies it to the New Testament believer today. Like Israel, every person who has come to salvation in Christ has been delivered by God from the house of bondage. However, in our case, our bondage was slavery to sin. Furthermore, like Israel of old, we are headed also toward a land of promise. But are we there yet? No. And this is critically important for you to see if you are not going to harden your heart towards God. You need to remember that you are in the wilderness. And you know what living in the wilderness means? And this is why I don't go camping, right? And seriously, what living in the wilderness means is you will experience hardships. You will suffer discomfort. Plans will fail. Disappointments will come. In other words, you will face trouble. The author of Hebrews is wanting to give our hearts and minds biblical categories for how we interpret life. And by citing Psalm 95 and applying it to us, he's like, listen, expect wilderness testing. Indeed, as this passage makes clear, the wilderness time is a time of testing. And Christian, please hear me. God intends to use these hardships to make you fit for the promised land. And I think it's appropriate for us to ask here just for a moment, how do you view life on this earth? And I'm going I'm to tell you, that's, that's a more significant question than you might think. I think for many Christians... They expect their life to be filled with promised land comforts rather than wilderness testing. Is that true of you? Faith, God uses trials to reveal what is in our hearts. That is what is meant by testing. And where there is sin, he wants to redeem us from it. So let me ask you, how would your life change if you embraced this biblical mindset? What if instead of expecting that you will experience promised land comforts, what if instead you embrace what the Bible teaches, like, you know, I'm going to be in the wilderness, so I'm probably going to experience instead wilderness testing. What would change in your life if you embraced this? You know what would change? I'll tell you this. 
you would stop being surprised when hardships fall upon you. You'd stop thinking life isn't fair or that God isn't good. If we embraced this mindset, we also wouldn't say things like, well, why me and not that other person? I love what Peter writes in 1 Peter 4.12. Remember what he writes? Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to what? Test you as though something strange were happening to you. Christian, it is not strange to experience trials. You know, you know why? Because you are in the wilderness, not the promised land. You know what is strange? A pain-free life of ease. And I'll confess to you that I think for many of us, and myself included, we believe the exact opposite. We think it's strange when the car breaks down. We think it's strange when prices go up. We think it's strange when our body begins to break down or we get bad news from the doctor. Well, we, that's what we think is strange. But that's, that's not according to Scripture. And, and, and let me ask you, do you remember how Israel responded to their time of testing in the wilderness? Tell me, what did Israel do all the time while they were in the wilderness? Tell me. Grumble and complain, which leads to the second action you must take to keep your heart from being hardened, and that is you need to eradicate complaining, eradicate grumbling from your life. Look at verses 10 through 12. So he talks about how he's citing Psalm 95. He says, referring to what... Israel and their grumbling and complaining. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their where? Heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Eradicate complaining. Have I ever mentioned to you that I used to work at a restaurant? That's, that's right. Many, many, many moons ago, when I waited tables, my manager's name was Michelle. He was a man. He was actually a tall, handsome, black man, happily married, several kids. His name was Michelle. Where every so often I would get a difficult table who felt they were entitled and owed something and they were upset or grumbling and complaining and they would say something like this. She said, you know what, I tell you what, bring Michelle over here. I'd like to talk to Michelle. She's a very good friend of mine. <laughs> to which I'd say, it'd be my pleasure. <laughs> and then I'd go and I'd bring Michelle over to the table. I said, Michelle, here are some people who say they're good friends of yours. And they just stand gleefully by and just watch the whole thing unfold, right? You know what their grumbling revealed? That couple at that table. It revealed 
They really didn't know the manager, did they? Likewise, faith, you know what our grumbling reveals? It reveals we really don't know our God. As several commentators have correctly pointed out, Psalm 95 draws together two incidents from Israel's post-Red Sea travels in the wilderness. Through the note-taking tab, and we're going to talk about this more in the, uh, next week. But one of the events is from Exodus 16. The others is from Numbers 14. And in the Exodus account, we learn that once Israel entered the wilderness, what do they immediately begin to do? Complain. I mean, immediately. The, the moment they stepped foot in the wilderness, they started to grumble and complain. And I just want to invite us to consider, and I've been asking myself this week, and it's been convicting, but Christian, let me ask you, what often fills the conversations you have with your friends? Is what fills the conversations you have with your friends grumbling and complaining about something? Is it grumbling or venting about something you think is wrong or something you don't like or something didn't go your way? Pastor and author Richard Phillips hits the nail on the head. Commenting on this verse, in particular verse 10, he says this. He says, complaining is a symptom of a deeper spiritual problem. If we grumble and complain, if we rebel and revolt, it indicates a very poor knowledge of God. Indeed, I want to look here with me. This was exactly the Lord's diagnosis of Israel, was it not? Look carefully at verse 10. The text says, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. Look, I might say I know God. I might say I have a deep relationship with God. But if I frequently grumble and complain about anything, then I really don't know my God. I'm ignorant of his ways. You know why? Because tell me, who is the one who is ordering and directing all affairs for his glory in our good? I'll tell you who the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, amen? That's who's doing all things. Broken down car, stubbed toe, scraped knee. Whatever it might be. And here's what I want you to see, Christian. If you are prone to giving way to complaining, please hear me. Your heart is in danger. Do not treat this sin flippantly. Do not dismiss it, dismiss it as benign. For if you allow it to flourish, it will Harden your heart towards God. Let us instead cultivate thankfulness to God, even for the times of testing, as they reveal, I mean, as God was testing Israel through the wilderness, what a kindness that was of God, because it was revealing what was going on in their hearts, and God wanted to redeem that from them, but they were unwilling. 
Let us cultivate thankfulness to God even in times of testing. As Thomas Watson, Thomas Watson once said, I'm gonna, we're going to read this slowly because there's not a wasted word and so good. He says, discontent is an ungrateful sin because we have more mercies than afflictions and it is an irrational sin because afflictions work for our good. The next week, we will look at the additional counsel and actions I believe the author of Hebrews wants us to take to keep our hearts from being hardened in our day of trouble. But to close this morning, I invite you to do what the author of Hebrews invites you to do in verse 1 of chapter 3, and that's consider Jesus. As we think about Psalm 95 and this, this episode in Israel's history in the wilderness and how they, they grumbled and they complained and it was revealed they had all this sin in their heart and they always go astray with their heart. As we consider Israel's failings, I want to remind you that there was another Israelite who was tested in the wilderness. Another Israelite who was tested in the wilderness, yet he did not grumble. He did not complain. Indeed, this Israelite, his wilderness testing proved he was without sin, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus suffered while tempted, yet he did not sin. Then he went to the cross to pay the penalty for complaining ungrateful people like me and you. On the cross, Jesus absorbed the wrath for our sin so we could not only be forgiven, but also have the hope of entering the promised land. Amen? Let us look to our Savior, the author and protector of our faith, in our days of trouble. And Christian, oh, let us find comfort that because of Christ, far greater than a pillar of fire and cloud, we have the Holy Spirit to guide and comfort us as we travel through the wilderness. Amen? Let's pray.